Welcome to the Northwestern Masters of the Arts and Sports Administration Revenue Above Replacement Podcast. I'm Bryce Clinton. Sponsorship is a form of affinity marketing that provides certain rights and benefits to the buyer or sponsor. The sponsorship typically comes in conjunction with a property, venue, personality, or event. Now, sports fans are accustomed to seeing sponsorship as it's become almost a core entity of sports. For me, the most apparent is with college football and bowl games. Think the All-State Sugar Bowl, or even a step further, the Outback Bowl, which I know very recently changed its name, but that sponsorship was so good that the name of the sponsor was just the name of the game. Sports and sponsorship of, of things around sports have a long history, and a modern understanding can be traced back to the 19th century and the birth of the baseball card. Then, tobacco companies printed images of baseball stars and other famous figures and included them in packs of cigarettes as a marketing ploy. It took television for sponsorship to reach a new level of potential because the company logo or name, the sponsor, could be seen on a TV screen for long periods of time. Today, sponsorship, especially in the world of sports, is a multi-layered topic that is enormous business, and there's no better person to help us navigate that topic than today's guest, Alex Kerr. Alex is the CEO of Trajectory. In that role, he brings a bend of qualitative, strategic, and marketing expertise. Trajectory is an award-winning B2B SaaS solution revolutionizing the way organizations interact and leverage their sponsorship data and insights through the sports, media, and entertainment industry. Prior to Trajectory, Alex oversaw growth marketing and business intelligence at Shop Your Way, an internationally acclaimed loyalty and e-commerce platform. Prior to Shop Your Way, Alex helped build both a marketing analytics and business intelligence department at Monumental Sports and Entertainment, the largest integrated sports and entertainment company in the country. Alex earned a bachelor's degree in economics from Kenyon College and an MBA from Duke University's Fuqua School of Business. It was there he discovered the importance of effectively building teams and operational efficiencies. Alex brings such incredible insight not only around the sponsorship in sports, but across the entire sports landscape. So we hope you all enjoy this interview with Alex Kerr. Alex, thank you so much for taking the time to, to join us on the podcast today. It's, it's a pleasure to have you. Yeah, super, super pumped to be on. So I want to talk about trajectory and all the, the great work that you're doing there, building and, and continuing to grow. But before we get there, let's spin it all the way back and talk about sort of how you got here and all the work that you've done in, in the sports industry to get to, to this place today. Yeah, it's a, it's a long journey, but certainly happy to, to tell you all about it. <laughs> So going back, you know, you in undergrad, from an undergrad perspective and then graduate school, you know, from where you where you started now, where you are today, did you see this as sort of the trajectory you were and, and sort of all the things that you did in between to get to this point? Or, or how did that sort of come about? Well, first off, patent pending, I'm using the word trajectory. So uh, appreciate the <laughs> shameless accidental plug there. No, I mean, I think the reality is like I had no idea um, jobs and business positions and sports really even existed until I was in, I was in grad school. I mean, you know, for, for quick reference, I always, I always knew I was a data guy and a strategist at, at heart coming out of undergrad. But, you know, I'd say my first couple of years, right. I, I really struggled out of undergrad to sort of figure out like what it is I wanted to do with the rest of my life. I, you know, was, I did private wealth management as a financial advisor for a couple of years. I love the, the math aspect of it, but, but really not a whole lot to the rest of the job 
you know, eventually I made my way into the nonprofit world um, where I was doing analytics and and uh, strategy, which I really loved, uh, but ultimately had had some issues um, with sort of like how nonprofits are, are typically run, which was really my impetus to, to get to business school. Um, and really, I used business school as an opportunity to really try to explore a lot of different career paths. And, and as I sort of mentioned, I, I sort of accidentally fell uh, fell into sport. It's it's kind of a funny funny story in terms of how uh, how I eventually ended up in it. But uh, but yeah, certainly certainly unplanned. Well, from an undergraduate perspective, you have a degree in economics, which is funny because people have asked me, what would you do? And I don't know if this is actually true, but maybe it's a, just a fun thing to say. But people have said, what would you do if you had to do over again? And I always think, well, maybe I would study economics because I think that it's applicable in a lot of different places. Um, and I think that you can see that with what you do today, you know, from a business intelligence perspective and, and some of those constructs that fit in with those things. No, I think that's right. I mean, I think that's, that's ultimately why I ended up on economics was I'm, I'm really fascinated in general. And this is one of the things I really love about sports. It's like it's human behavior, right? Like why do people do the things that they do? And for anyone that's ever taken an economics 101 course, you'll you'll understand that there's a lot of irrationality that that sort of exists within the marketplace. But, you know, I was I was certainly fascinated with econ just from the sense of like trying to understand and predict and forecast like how people are going to behave. And when people don't behave the way that you expect, really trying to understand understand like why that is um, and then sort of plugging that in you know coming coming forward to to sort of the work in sports you know, I think what was really fascinating for me about the world of sport is the irrationality of fans right like I'm willing to pay $200 in stadium for a jersey that I wouldn't pay $75 for uh, at Target or Walmart right so you know I think the the ability to capitalize on on fandom and rationality that exists you know for marketers and strategists just alike, uh, you know, I think definitely speaks for for my for my love and passion for for economics uh, coming out of coming out of undergrad certainly, but I think that's just sort of uh, more coincidence than anything else that it worked out that way. Well, what's interesting is if you kind of spin that forward, you talked about the behaviors from an economics perspective and human behaviors. It, but if you look as you build, you know, from where you we were to where you are today. That business intelligence piece is a lot about human behavior and what people do and digging into the data behind what drives consumers and, and consumer patterns, consumer purchases, consumer attitudes. And I think that those have a really interesting you know, sort of convergence in that. But I think, you know, what's also interesting is that it combine that with, you know, some of your previous work at, at um, you know, places like Shop Your Way. From, from an e-commerce perspective, you know, sort of bringing those things all together. I'm sure that, that digging into that data and understanding, you know, what customers do is I'm sure there's a fascinating sort of behind the scenes in that. Yeah. And man, like we could probably do three hours just talking about the complexities of like segmentation and, you know, scoring and trying to understand how to segment people and then to the right categories to, to take certain actions. But um, but yeah, you know, it's it's as I sort of reflect on my career, it's I feel very fortunate um, for having the opportunity to see a lot of different angles of how to use data to to work on the marketing side, to work on the strategy side, and ultimately where, where we ended up with trajectory on, you know, sort of sponsorship and partnership analytics and, and intelligence. But like, you know, taking half a step back, you know, my time at at Monumental um, was just an incredible opportunity to work at the cross section of really helping build that initial business intelligence team from scratch, originally under the the great Josh Brickman, and then eventually under the incredible Adam Heinz, who's who's still there. Um, but understanding like 
how do you talk to a Wizards fan is very different than how you talk to a Capitals fan is very different than how you talk to a Mystics or an esports fan. Um, you know, I think was a great sort of widespread view of of how do you apply data in different instances for different actions. And then to your point, like you get to like shop your way and it became much more, you know, analytically driven of understanding, okay, instead of just segmenting two or three or four different fan bases, like we had, you know, 83 different segmentations of of what we were doing with marketing and business intelligence. So in any event, I could I could talk about that for hours, but uh, it's it's sort of been an interesting journey to to be exposed to just so many applications of data, which ultimately I think is where so many people get lost and struggle today is like there's no shortage of, of noise out there, right? So it's like, how do you sort through that and, and sort of get to why? You're right. And it's it's funny because, you know, listeners will know I, I teach a class in technology of sports and a lot of the times students have if you take it back a couple of years you know they start asking about big data or you know all these types of things from an ai machine learning perspective and the thing that i always sort of talk about is data for data's sake is not really that interesting mm-hmm. and unless you can really make you know inferences that give you tangible results for that, that underlying data is not going to actually do you that much good. And I think that's what's really interesting about, you know, what you've done historically, what you're building today. You mentioned Monumental and a funny story that you had about getting into sports. You know, <laughs> talk to us about, and we don't have to give that whole story, but about how you sort of made that that transition into sports, working at, at Monumental Sports and Entertainment, you know, and doing a lot of work with, you know, D.C. area teams and, and beyond. Yeah, I'll give you the PC version of of the story, and I kind of chuckle because I don't know what I'm allowed to do on this podcast and <laughs> what I'm allowed to say. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, taking half a step back, like how the heck did I did I even get into sports in the first place, right? So for me, it was totally accidental. Um, I had originally gone back to business school uh, to get my MBA, thinking that I was going to go. Uh, run a nonprofit, right? I sort of mentioned a couple of minutes ago that I've been in a nonprofit before. I, I sort of had this realization that, you know, I was a data-driven individual and there weren't a lot of data-driven people in the nonprofit world. And so what a cool opportunity that would be to, to really go try to make a difference in the world and, and work on the nonprofit side. Um, early on in, in my MBA, I, I, I got some some bad advice uh, in hindsight. And I had an individual tell me that if I really wanted to make a difference in the nonprofit world, I should go be an iBanker for 10 years and, and then go and impact investing. And so I was like, oh, so I was uh, I was on uh, my couch um, of, a, of my best friend uh, at grad school at the time, sort of commiserating that night that I didn't know what I wanted to do with the rest of my life. And he kind of turned to me and he said, well, you know, the CMO um, of you know, Monumental Sports Entertainment, a guy named, by the, uh, named Joe Dupriest, uh, he's the CMO there and he's, uh, he's a, a fellow uh, graduate of our program. Why don't you reach out to him? So uh, late at night, I shot him an email saying, hey, my name is Alex. Hockey sounds cool. I'm a data guy and a strategist at heart. Not sure if there's any opportunities for, for an internship. And as they say, the, the rest is sort of history. Had a great opportunity, worked for Monumental as an intern in the marketing department, really trying to bring data and analytics uh, to life there, really for the first time. Um, and then that just eventually worked its way into a full-time opportunity after grad school. Had the great opportunity to work under Joe for, for a number of years. And then eventually that, um, that turned into a much larger business intelligence role as the organization made some strategic decisions to combine marketing analytics, sales analytics all together into a single uh, BI group. So 
that was that was sort of the story. And, and really, you know, my path into sports was less about, oh, wow, like sports is cool and sports is fun. And it was actually much more driven by the fact that I just love data and I love analytics and I love strategy and I love marketing. And it just ended up being a really interesting opportunity to sort of put those things together and then ultimately culminated in working out pretty well uh, with my econ background because, again, the irrationality of fandom and, and how you market to these folks, I think, is is a really interesting opportunity that um, that usually you know doesn't doesn't really get explored all that all that much. So it really ended up just being sort of um, a match made in heaven. And uh, the five uh, or so years that I spent at Monumental certainly showed me, I think, a lot of the. Um, the pros and cons and gaps that exist in the marketplace in terms of, you know, storytelling with data. And, you know, eventually that culminated in, in things later in my career too. Well, it's what's, what's fascinating about what you say is that you're right in the sense that, you know, most of those, the most interesting things that you come across in life happen by happenstance. You push it something so hard and it, it doesn't work out. And then they, they randomly, you know, sort of come about. And I think that's, really interesting sort of how those pieces come about. But the other thing is that we always think about data and analytics from a sports perspective, from a competition piece, right? Certainly there is player evaluation and those things that go on. But I think sometimes all of us forget that these are big businesses that do a lot of business that interact with consumers and fans. And like you said, the irrationality of fans, you know, there's a huge opportunity for technology, but also data and analytics on top of that in the business side of the sports. And I think we often f- forget that, but it, you know, it seems that you definitely have had the ability to apply that for sure in, in your jobs previously and, and sort of what you're doing now. Yeah, no, I mean, I think, I think all that's, all that's true. And I think it's not just in sport, but you know, I think the world in which we live, which is just more and more data oriented, um, it's all there. But I think, you know, to a point you made a couple of minutes ago, there's a lot of noise. And so for, for me, it's always been about how do you bridge the gap between, um, data analytics and actually taking those insights into something tangible and turning it into, to real strategy and real action, right? And so it's a real hard, you know, ultimately to get buying from, you know, groups, some of which are data driven, some of which are not to really effectively use data. And, and as I, as sort of the way I explain it is how do you bridge the gap between data analytics and, and storytelling? And so, you know, I think that's a huge opportunity in sport. Um, you know, not sure if you've covered this in a couple of your, your classes or not, but, you know, sport in general, in my opinion, really lags behind traditional industry five to 10 years and how they're applying data and analytics and insights. And so to your point, the application of technology and data analytics, I think there's there's large opportunities, um, certainly in, in professional sport, um, all the way down to the collegiate level and, and everything beyond. Um, and I think we've seen that really in the last 10 years, right? Like 10 years ago, how many teams actually had a business intelligence department? Right, you'd be hard pressed to find many. I think Monumental was actually one of the the first to to do it. Um, but now it's you can barely find a professional team that doesn't have a business intelligence department. So I think you are seeing a, a huge shift in the data and and analytics movement, and especially with COVID. Really, I think putting a spotlight on these organizations and their inability to really effectively storytell and figure out what this data means, I think, is only applying that much more pressure. Um, in the world today to, to really try to figure some of this stuff out and, and do it, um, you know, in a, in a quick and, um, you know, actionable way. So it's, it's kind of crazy. It is. And I mean, you know, you spin that forward. I think that, that it all kind of 
culminates or plays in it, you can see the the natural evolution to where you are now. So tell us about you know your what you have done and with trajectory and sort of the, the building that and, and how that came to be and you know it's, it's overall evolution. <laughs> uh, I am super excited to shamelessly a, plug my company, so I appreciate the spot. <laughs> well, it's a loaded question too, in the sense that there's a lot. I'm sure there's a lot behind that. Yeah, um, maybe I'll take a step back and I'll, I'll sort of frame the general problem that that I ran into it at Monumental. So, um, one of my co-founders um, is a young woman by the name of, of Sharon Fish, uh, and she was running strategy uh, at Monumental Sports uh, when I was there on uh, the partnership side, on the sponsorship side of the house. And so the two of us collaborated quite a bit on, you know, what I was referring to a moment ago of how do you bridge the gap between data analytics, which was my role and storytelling with data back to back to sponsors specifically. And so Sharon and I became um, good friends and colleagues at, at Monumental. Um, but effectively, the, the problem that we both encountered was you get brands like the Geico's of the world at the end of the at the end of the season saying, hey, I spent a million dollars with you. How do we do? Right. And, you know, Sharon or somebody on her team would get this phone call and they'd be like, yeah, no problem. We did a great job. Let us get the data and we'll we'll send it back to you. You know, she'd hang up the phone and then call me in a panic. Right. Oh, my God. Geico called. They uh, they spent a million dollars. We have to figure out how how to how to prove that we did this kind of value. And so, you know, it'd come back to my team. We'd spend a lot of time going into contracts, figuring out, OK, what were they contracted for from a from a sponsorship perspective? Were they on email? Were they on television? Were there social inclusions? You know, did they have a logo, uh, you know, somewhere in our arena? And so it was this huge fact finding mission that that took days and days and days and really overall took us, you know, over twelve hundred hours a year to pull a lot of these reports together to effectively only go back to the Geico's of the world and say, hey, we um, we did a great job. Thanks for spending a million bucks. We got you 5,000 clicks on email. We had 2 million people come into our stadium. We got a social report that says we posted to social media 35 times. And we got this really cool nifty uh, television uh, report that says uh, your television value is worth 150,000 bucks. We think that was worth well over a million dollars. Please, please, please spend a million dollars with us next year. And even though I'm being kind of tongue in cheek with the example, it's really not that far off from from how this process actually works. And so for us, it's just a systemically broken um, part of the industry. You know, there are there are vendors out there that do social media uh, analytics. Uh, there are vendors out there that do television analytics, but that's only like 15% of the overall picture, right? Email, web ads, LEDs, static signage, you know, you know, mobile ads. There is there is so much more to a full sponsorship uh, portfolio and objective that just goes completely unreported on. And so for us, you know, having seen how broken this was on the team side, you know, eventually, you know, Sharon would go and work for a large uh, sports marketing agency in Chicago. Uh, you know, she saw how broken it was on the agency side. And then eventually when we, we actually both worked together again at my our last company, uh, Loyalty Commerce Platform on the brand side, again, just a totally broken, a broken ecosystem. And so eventually said to hell with this, like, we're going to go build our own company and we're going to solve this because nobody else has. And so, you know, I think for us, we have a really, I think, unique perspective on the problem and the challenges that really exist systemically from the team side to the brand side to the agency side that really no one's trying to, to fill the gap on, at least not well, and at least not automatically with uh, you know a technology company or, or solution like us. Um, and so really what we're hell bent on trying to solve and are solving for, for groups now is how do you have that holistic sponsorship 
view of all of your data in, in one spot in real time, but also placing a valuation on it, right? So for the first time, you know, as an organization or an agency or a brand, you have a real good sense of, you know, what your LEDs are actually producing, what your static signage is doing, how your email, how your web is performing, as well as the social, as well as the television and doing it in such a way that is, is much more um, transparent for teams and groups to be able to take and, and report on much more frequently. So that's a huge mouthful, I realize. So thanks for not, you know, playing the music and, and getting me off the stage. But but there's a lot to it, right? And, and for us, it's all about how do we help organizations really be the hero um, and better better storytell with with data back to back to their partners. So yeah, that's the headline. It, it is a lot of information, but I think it, it's really interesting, especially for those of us that consume sports readily. And I think that it actually kind of leads me to a dumb question. You talk about sponsorship, mm -hmm. and I think at a macro level, most of us, myself included, know what the word means. <laughs> but if you really step back from that, from somebody who works with this and works with companies sure. and, and brands and teams to understand sponsorship and what that means to both sides, what is sponsorship? What does that really entail for both sides of the equation? Wow, that's another side podcast, so I can't wait to be back <laughs> next week to, to answer it. No, but like, you know, it's interesting. And, and even taking half a step back further, like the difference between marketing, advertising and sponsorship, while they all seem the same and they seem similar, they're all they're all very different things at the end of the at the end of the day. Right. And so, you know, at its at its most simple, simple form for for our listeners, you know, if you've ever gone to a professional sporting event, you see, you know, tens of, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of logos throughout your experience, a Geico logo on the field or a Geico logo in the concession area when you're buying uh, buying a hot dog or if you see the same geico logo when you're watching on television from from your own home right like in the world of sports media entertainment we call this sponsorship and sponsorship ultimately is about two sides of a marketplace you have you know people who are selling space in which you know brands like your geicos and your nikes can purchase so these are typically the teams uh, and then on the other side so we call that the the um the sell side of the spot of the sponsorship world and then on the buy side you have all the brands right and ultimately the objective is to say hey you know since we're in chicago hey chicago bears you know you're getting in front of all these chicagoans i as a chicago brand really want to get in front of your fans with my product right and so ultimately what sponsorship is all about is really trying to create relationships between organizations and teams as well as brands in which they can promote and advertise and sell uh their product so you know that's the that's the headline of it but yeah, I'm happy to dive a little bit deeper if, if you have a follow-up. Well, I think that the, the reason I ask that is, you know, it, in truth, we see – you see sponsorship in the sense of at the beginning of a, a game, you know, brought to you by Pacific Life, right, or whatever yep. it may be. Do you see advertisements, right, as you watch, you know, I think sports and, and things like, you know, uh, live news and, and things, maybe like award shows are, are some of the last bastions of, of live entertainment, right? And yep. you watch – commercials or advertisements that are in them and you understand what those are 
but necessarily you don't necessarily understand the interplay between the two and or if they are different right. and distinct things. And I think you mentioned a really good point around, you know, people that aren't ingrained in this all the time. It, there is a difference between them. And I think it's really interesting to understand, you know, from both sides, how from a brand perspective, you maximize the value that you get inside that, whether it's a sponsorship or advertising or some level of marketing, but also the flip side in a, whether it's team or venue or so on, how you, you know, sell that space most effectively to one, make money, but also meld with the brand that you have. Yeah. And wow, there's a lot to unpack there. Um, yeah. So like at its, at its core, like why is sponsorship different? Right. And, and sponsor is different because you're as a brand. So say like, we'll just use my Geico example, right? The reason that you're spending with the Chicago bears, right? Is you are trying to buy into the credibility of the Chicago bears brand, right? So if you, if you're buying sponsorship on the Chicago bears, you know, all of their fans are saying, Oh, I love the bears. I see that Geico is associated with the bears. Well, that means I think Geico is a, is a trusted brand, right? And so, you know, I think ultimately a lot of the difference between like a typical advertisement where Geico could just buy a 30 second commercial spot, you know, having the ability to, to put a billboard on the side of a highway saying Geico, the official insurance partner of, of XY, Z brand or whomever, um, you know, I think is is a really powerful sort of addition that that you can get in sponsorship that you, you don't get in other sort of advertising mediums. And then the other good one that I've heard from a number of really great um, leaders throughout the industry is the other advantage of of sponsorship is that it can be a one stop shop to getting in front of the target demographic that you want on a lot of different channels all at once. And what do I mean by that? So, you know, if I'm, if I'm, you know, Joe's pizza shop in Chicago and I want to, uh, I want to get my brand in front of people, I can go spend money on social media ads. I can send out an email on my own. I can go buy a billboard on the side of the highway. Uh, you know, I can buy, advertising in a lot of different areas, but it's a lot of work and it's a lot to keep a track of. Whereas you go straight to a team, well, a team can push things on social. They can put, you know, signage in stadium. They can put signage outside of stadium. They can send emails on your behalf. And so I think the other advantage that you see in, in, you know, sponsorship as well, it's also an opportunity for these brands to get on a lot of different marketing channels very, very quickly uh, and very, very easily. So it's a much more um, diverse portfolio of, of advertising mediums um, when you go to when you go to a team through through sponsorship as well. It's crazy all of those touch points that you just talked about, and, and you think about you know walking into an event, you're, you're sort of inundated. If you go in person, you're inundated with logos. Even if you're watching that same event on television, you know all of the different things that you see from a signage perspective and so on. It, to spin it back to sort of what you're talking about, you know that you've done you know throughout your career. I think it's really interesting to see if you think back 25 years ago, even 15 years ago, how do you value that, right? It's got to be a really thing, really hard thing to say, mm, yes, back to your Geico example, I paid a million bucks for, you know, the sponsorship. Yep. Is it just finger in the air to say, well, wait a minute, what does that really actually translate to? And I think there's probably some intrinsic pieces to that, right? Like you said, the ability to be associated with this brand or team or league or, you know, in front of the people that, that you know, their fans or their consumers. But the, the converse from things like direct advertising where you can have click-through rates and see purchases and so on, sure. there seems to be less tangibles behind that to, to show those metrics. 
Yeah, and 15 years ago, and, and still has done this way quite a bit, unfortunately, is you know, the whole idea of sponsorship is it just works. Um, and I'm, I'm sort of using air quotes here to, to say that, but like that has always been the premises of sponsorship of it just works. We're going to spend three million bucks because we just assume it works. And that is how it has been done for decades after decades after decades. And it's only now that I think people are really starting to, to turn an eye of figuring out, well, hold on a minute. We need to we need to start thinking about what the stuff is actually worth. And, and if, if, it, if the juice is really worth the squeeze, so to speak, especially again, as I mentioned a few moments ago, you know, everything coming in COVID has really really put a spotlight on the inability for teams and for agencies to really prove the the value of the spend that's that's going into this but as it relates to evaluation piece you know um, I'll tell you a quick story when I was at Monumental we were working with a, a third-party vendor that provided us with out-of-home uh, data and for for those listening that aren't familiar with out of home just chalk that up as like a billboard on the side of the highway is a good example right and he told me the story that even going into like 2010 they would still have people going out to highways every couple of months with a with a with a clicker and they would just count the number of cars going by and that's ultimately how they were arriving at some of the data and the information of how many eyeballs uh, we're seeing a lot of these out-of-home billboard ads. And it just kind of is like a head-scratcher to be like, man, that is a really manual, <laughs> really inefficient process to, to go about this. But at the end of the day, still doesn't lead to evaluation, right? Like, okay, I know 2,000 cars passed by and each car on average has one and a half people. So we'll say that's 3,000 people that saw the sign today. You know, multiply that by 365 days a year and, you know, what and so it's it's kind of nuts. But how do you go about the valuation? And I mean, you know, this is where I love to to really geek out of. There's got to be a better way, right? And I think the way that the industry does it today, and I don't think a lot of organizations are are privy to this. But you know, a lot of the groups in social and a lot of the groups on on television, they take a very straight line approach. They say, hey, a million impressions in New York is equal to a million impressions in Chicago is equal to a million impressions in Idaho, uh, and all those things are worth the same. And that's kind of crazy because nothing could be further from the truth, right? Each of these markets are very different. The people that live in them are very, very different. And so, you know, if you accept that as, as being accurate, well, then the next question is, well, how do you actually go about valuing these things, um, you know, in a, in a much more sort of accurate and transparent manner? And for us, you know, insert shameless plug about trajectory again, the way that we're we're going about it is what we're effectively saying is like, look, like there are rates, you know, in each individual market that people are paying for billboards or email or social or digital, you know, all these digital and non-digital assets. There are, there are rates, you know, effectively behind them. This would be a much more transparent and a better way if you start to use a lot of those values sort of at the core to figure out what these things are worth. Because the thesis of this is that if you're Geico. And you want to spend, um, you know, if you want to get in front of, I'll say it that way, if you want to get in front of 10 million people in Chicago, you have a couple of options, right? You can spend uh, money on billboards or you can spend money on digital ads throughout the city, 
or you can go to the sports teams that you're advertising on and, and you can spend money with them to also get in front of a lot of fans. And so at our core, what we're doing is we're looking at, you know, the rates that the brands would have to spend to get similar type of, of advertising in that particular market outside of the teams. And so what it really effectively comes down to is a much more one-to-one, much more accurate way to value these things. Um, because at the core, you're getting to the rates that the brands and the agencies are, are used to seeing in individual markets. But that's just one of a, a lot of different ways in which you can you can certainly go about it. It's one of those things that, that you think about even as a consumer of, of any type of media, but sports especially, like you see those things, you see the sponsorship, you see, you know, brought to you by all the whatever they may be. But you don't know all the things that go behind that. And I think actually being a consumer of sports, one thing that I've seen recently is a kind of a shift. A shift and what I mean by that is the companies that are doing this sponsorship, right? I I watched, the, I mean, not to, to give us a time capsule here, but I watched the Academy Awards last night, or at least some of it. <laughs> and there are lots we could talk about there. However, the one thing that I did see a lot was a ton of crypto commercials. And now you see the change, you know, Staples Center is no longer the Staples Center, those types of things. Have you seen a shift recently in from what we'll call traditional companies being involved in these sponsorships to more, you know, different players in those markets or or shifting dynamics around those? Well, I think there's a lot of shift. And I mean, really a lot of it coming out of um, COVID in a couple of different manners, right? So it's the brands themselves, but it's also like what they're spending on. So like we saw a huge shift, you know, during COVID and now post COVID of brands really shifting a lot of their spend towards digital, right? That's for for a number of different reasons, one of which is that they can better track that data and better track that information. Um, but they're also they're also trying to diversify their spend in in general. So, you know, in, in one sense, you know, the the brands that have uh, historically invested in sponsorship are continuing to do it, but they're diversifying a lot of the, of, of how they're spending in, in sponsorship. But to your point, I think there's also a lot of different brands coming into the marketplace that, that weren't, um, that either weren't advertising before or are really changing their strategy in terms of how they're doing it. And I'm going to take us off the rails for, for a moment here, but I think it's, it's somewhat relevant is esports. Right. You look at the brands that are that are starting to invest in esports. It's brands that you never would have believed would have been investing in esports five or six years ago. Right. Like your BMWs, your Rolexes, your really high end luxury brands are now starting to spend quite a bit in, in the esports world, which, you know, was sort of a head scratcher to me at, at first. But what they're really looking out for, again, is that diversification of, of spend and trying to get in front of like, you know, that next generation that's that's going to be going to be spending on on their, you know, their luxury products down down the road. And so, you know, I think there there's been a shift in a lot of different ways. But like, you know, back to your back to your point, you know, yeah, crypto, that's certainly a huge one. Um, they're trying to get in front of of, you know, as many humanly, as many people as humanly possible. Um, but I think these are just things that are sort of the natural evolution and the ebbs and flows of, of what you're always going to see in sponsorship, right? There's, there's going to be the new hot thing. Um, and sports, you know, is such a polarizing type industry. It's, it's a no brainer for a lot of these big, you know, organizations to come in and, and spend in. Well, you're right. I mean, I think esports is one of those areas that in full transparency, even being someone that's come from, the you know, comes from a technology space it's it's a tough nut to crack in the sense of 
it, it's continued evolution and, and where it's going, it's, it's, you know, shifting and changing, but it makes a lot of sense. You're right. The being in front of that sort of next generation of consumers and where they're spending their time. Right. I think that sort of leads to a question of, of the flip of what I just asked you of, do you see a, a change in sentiment from whether it's teams or venues or, or the other side of sponsorship of being more conscious of, you know, I think if you look from the, from a demographic perspective, younger consumers are more conscious of certain brands. They're, they're, they they are more attracted to certain types of, of things versus, you know, some of the traditional sponsorships or traditional brands we've seen in the past. Have you seen sort of a shift in that space as well? And the space of like what specifically? Just well, meaning that like who they're targeting or what? Well, I'll take the take an example of uh, well, rudimentary example, but mm-hmm. it, you see the data where younger, you know, college students now and younger, where the the going out to bars and and the drinking aspect of those things is less prevalent than it was when say you and I were in college, right? Sure. So a a venue or a team may think, well, we should have a Budweiser sponsor, Captain Morgan, those types of things. But seeing the shift in the demographics and in what younger people, you know, really value, are is that being sort of taken into account by those those folks that have the inventory for those sponsorships? Yeah, no, that's a great question. Uh, and I'm going to give you an answer that is probably not as, not as good as the question itself. <laughs> um, it really depends on the organization. I, I think there are some really great uh, clubs and teams that um, a couple of which we work with that I think are very, very forward thinking exactly along those lines. But Unfortunately, I think the vast majority of, of teams and organizations out there, while they would never really readily admit to it, you know, it's I don't I don't think they're there yet. Quite honestly, I think, you know, a lot of groups are still generally predicated around, hey, how do we, you know, how do we maximize our sponsorship revenue? So, you know, whoever the partners that want to spend the most are the ones that we're going to prioritize, you know, regardless as to to what the the fandom underneath potentially supports or, or is saying, right? And I think, you know, I don't think that's a fault of anyone individually. I just think, again, as you look at the sports industry on the business side in general, it's it's typically an under resourced, um, an under resourced part of the industry, right? Like these teams, even though they're spending millions and millions on players, they don't have a lot of money to spend on resources on the business side, at least not typically. A couple teams have bigger budgets than others. But, you know, until you have research that really abundantly shows that you you should be catering to the new you know generation of fans and their preferences, I think it's going to be a very, very slow uh, move that way. But, you know, I'm kind of curious to sort of throw that question back to you um you know have you have you seen that in abundance anywhere because i i haven't you know anecdotally on on my end at least not 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 in abundance the reason i brought this up is it something that you and i both do you know alex teaches at, at northwestern as well we both do and it's been a really interesting shift in the last three or four years that i have seen and what i mean by that is the two things that i see so much now that the student's focusing on are things like sustainability so sustainability inside, whether that's venue creation, the, the building of a venue or running of a venue and those types of things, how teams operate their business on a day-to-day perspective, sustainability, and then also overall health and wellness. So well-being sure. meaning from a mental health perspective, physical health perspective. And that's been a fundamental shift that I've seen just in the last three or four years. And it's all been driven by 
students, young people that I have, you know, had, you know, the ability to interact with through teaching the course. And the, the sort of genesis of the question was, I wonder if that has now trickled down or trickled up, whatever way you want to say it, to the larger marketplace. Because eventually, you know, we're fortunate, both of us, to be able to teach a lot of these students that someday down the road will be in really interesting positions in inside the sports industry. And you can see how that could could change because of that. But I wondered if it was starting now and, and, and shifting and changing, partially too because of, like I said, I'm starting to see different levels of uh, sponsorship, whether it's sponsorship, advertising, marketing that's associated to sports and other things from different types of companies that you would think of in the past. So I, I, it was a strange convergence of sort of the two. No, that's cool. I like it. Um, and I have a follow-up question for you in a moment. Uh, so I get to run the interview now. But um, no, but I, so you bring up a good point on the sustainability end, right? I think you see a lot of groups and a lot of teams and organizations trying to create um, a lot more awareness about like the sustainability campaigns that they're doing, whether or not it be environmental impact or, or something else. Um, I think you are seeing a lot more of that. As it relates to sponsorships, yeah, I mean, there's, there's a couple um, – that I've seen that they're a little bit more, you know, co-promoting really I think the true partnership between the venue and the organization and whatever that, um, that brand might be. Um, but I still think, you know, those are, those are far and few between like, you know, I, I don't think that those are the majority yet. You certainly see those. And I think, you know, whether or not it's a good PR piece, you know, those are always played up when, when they occur. So at least in the sustainability end, I think you're, you're probably right. The mental health one's um, an interesting one. And, and I'm a big, for people that know me, I'm a really big fan of, of mental health efforts um, in the workplace in general. Um, but um, I'd be sort of curious to see if that continues to, to pick up on the sponsorship end. I, off the top of my head, um, I won't blow smoke. I can't really think of one that comes specifically to, to mind, but I'd love to see that because it is gaining a lot of a lot of traction on the player front as we've seen over the last couple of years. It certainly is. And I mean, I think that was the genesis of it. I think, you know, even in my own course, I'd seen a couple of students really talk about gaps that they have in sort of these would be student athletes or even students in general, the, the ability to service that mental health. And, and in my class about technology, showing that the, that gap could sort of be filled by, by technology. And I thought that was really interesting because even thinking back to when I was a graduate student, like that wasn't something that I was top of mind for me, right? And sure. you would think graduate school is hard and there's a lot going on, but I didn't think about it in the same way that they do. And I think it's a really, you know, it's a really encouraging thing, right? Because that's such a, it's in the forefront of their mind. And as, as those, those people continue to evolve in their careers and, and, you know, move into, into different roles, I think it'll be more in the forefront of things. Yeah. I was going to actually ask you, so my follow-up question was going to be, have you seen that more in the classroom or have you seen that in practice from, from our students actually going into, into the industry and, and starting to apply those things? Mm, yeah. Good question. I think more A than B. And what I mean by that is kind of back to what you're saying about the sponsorship piece. The underpinnings of it are there. In theory, it's there and people are really starting to think about it. I think what's hard today, and I would imagine this probably is similar to what sponsorship and, and those things, the mechanics of it underneath, how do we do that? Right. And what I mean is, you know, I had a great a student whose final project was around creating a a university wide mental health app for student athletes, right? That they could then you know use to interact with these services and and not just have a one off session and build those things. And, you know, because if you look at it from a mental health perspective for a student athlete, there's a lot going on, especially if you're at some place like Northwestern, that there is. Yeah 
quite the academic rigor that's around that, plus being an athlete, plus being, we forget that these student athletes are on television in front of millions of people and that there's a direct communication line to those student athletes through things like Twitter and Instagram. And it's a lot of stressors, right? But in practice, what the student said and was really interesting was, I don't know how to get this to the next stage, how this moves. And so I I think that you're right of kind of how you mentioned with sponsorship, like the seeds are there, but it hasn't moved forward yet. And I'll be really interested to see how it does in the next four or five years. Yeah. And it comes back to like the old guard versus the new guard, right? In some senses of our organization's really ready to, to have that and embrace it. And I mean that like full scope. It's not just about the world of sponsorship. It's, and actually I kind of equate it back to like the sponsor, uh, the data analytics revolution that I think we've seen in the industry in the last 10 years, right? Where like, again, 10 years ago, nobody was really talking about business intelligence teams and all of a sudden now it's, it's all over the place. So it's like, you know, it took a while for organiz- for, for the industry to really embrace the idea of business intelligence and better information and insights leads to greater revenue on the sales side, on the marketing side, on, on the sponsorship side. Now, ultimately, um, you know, part of the question will be is, you know, from a sustainability mental health aspect, how do you how do you change an industry's perception? You know, and I think it's something that you chip away at and, and something that, you know, now it's as it's becoming more in the public domain in general, right? In the workplace and what work-life balance and everything we're seeing in COVID with working remotely now. And, you know, hopefully it's it's a primer, right, for, for starting to see more of that on, on the business end of things uh, within the industry as well. But, you know, it, it'll sort of be interesting to see how that evolves. It really will. And I mean, I think there's so much evolution in sports and, and the consumption of sports today. I mean, I think it kind of, you know, I want to end by talking about what you see going forward, but a thing that gets us there is something that's kind of near and dear to me, and that is streaming services and the consumption of sports and content. You know, my day job is tangentially related to direct to consumer streaming. And from your world, do you see the shift of how consumers consume sports, right? I mean, and in traditional senses, most of us still consume sports on linear television because that's where the broadcast rights sit, but that not, might not be the same forever. A lot of these things are, the rights deals are coming up soon and those things may shift. We saw, you know, Apple TV plus is going to have Friday night baseball on, you know, directly on that, the, their platform. Now, do you think from a sponsorship perspective and how we get, how you or teams and leagues and brands get in front of people changes because of that sort of medium, the consumption model? Yeah. I mean, I think the easy layup answer to that is of course it does unequivocally, you know, uh, how it how it is all going to net out at the very end of all this is, I think, still to be seen and will continue to to only evolve. And what I mean by that is, you know, we've we've gone from a culture, generally speaking, and, and you know, don't, don't mean to generalize things, but, you know, we've gone from a group, a handful of core sports that people can watch to, you know, dozens if not hundreds of different options and mediums and channels and mobile versus ott i mean there are so many different sports that all have monetization um aspects to it now you know in terms of how brands start to shift i mean yeah like we've seen a lot of that over the last couple of years um you know brands i think are are trying to be at the forefront of understanding how to target their their target consumers uh in a better and a more efficient way you know Again, shameless plug for trajectory. I think that's a lot of what we're trying to do and trying to help with organizations is really give them a 
uh, first time a real sense of like what their sponsorship looks like, how it's performing and how to calibrate, right? Like the power of being able to go, again, I'll just use Geico and say, hey, Geico, we can tell you what markets you're going to get your best bang for your buck based on, you know, what teams and what leagues you should be investing in, depending on who your target consumer is. Like that's, that's what we're all about, certainly. But, you know, I think in a broader sense, like, yeah, like brands and, and agencies especially are, are desperately trying to figure out how do you get better targeting? How do you get your best bang for your buck? And I think it's, there's, there's so much there's so much opportunity out there and there's so many choices. It's really freaking hard to figure out like where to spend your cash because there are so many options now. It's not just, Hey, is it NFL or is it NBA this year? Right. It's like, <laughs> there's like 17 dozen options that you now have. And it's, it's really hard to figure out. It's a tough egg to crack, tough nut to crack. It certainly is. And I mean, I think that you see that fragmentation. It's really good. Like you mentioned, if I'm a, if I'm a, cricket fan in, in the United States, I can consume that content now. Right. But then there's so many other places that, that, you know, everything's buying for time. Right. And, you know, I, it's a silly Reed Hastings quote from years ago that like they don't compete with other content creators. They compete with sleep, right. For, for that's their biggest competition because you're going to consume right. other things. But I mean, I think you answered a bit of this, but sort of in that space that you know so well, right. The sponsorship and, and those pieces, what do you, what do you think the next three to five to 10 years looks like and, and, and how that shifts and change, if at all. I think you're going to start to see what happened a number of years ago on, um, I'm trying to figure out ticket sales happen with sponsorship. And I think we're already seeing the beginning of it. Right. And, um, what I mean by that is about 10 years ago, a lot of these business intelligence groups were created because people realized they were leaving a lot of money on the table. Uh, when it came to to ticket revenue, and so like, how do you you know uh, price dynamically? You know, how do we how do we squeeze every last cent that we can uh, out of our consumer base? And you know, for those of you that aren't as familiar with the sports industry, right? Like, ticket revenue is is typically the the number one revenue generation um, department for for an organization. And so, all the concentration, all of the effort, all the time really went into what was like the number one lowest hanging fruit, which was which was ticket sales. Number two is, is typically sponsorship, right? And so I think what you're starting to see now is as teams have started to get a pretty decent grasp on how to maximize ticket revenue, they're now turning towards the second, you know, highest revenue generation department, which is which is typically your sponsorship and your partnership departments. And so, you know, I think what you're going to start to see and, and hey, like, right? Like that's why we built trajectory, right? Like we, we see the writing on the wall and we want to be one of the first to, um, to capitalize on it. But I think you're going to see a lot of other organizations pop up, uh, whether or not it's agency based or, or elsewhere that are also going to try to create like their own unique take on how do you monetize sponsorship? How do you increase revenue? How do you increase retention? And so, yeah, I mean, I think the sponsorship wars, um, on, from an intelligence standpoint is, is really only going to heat up. And, you know, I think it's, you're starting to see a lot of different players in the space now, but, you know, I think in five years from now, like you're, you're going to, it's, it's going to be, it's going to be, it's going to be all out battle trying to figure out, you know, how do you, how do you accurately evaluate these things and, and report back to sponsors? And so I think that will only continue. Um, and then from there, it's probably really trying to put a holistic, you know, data viewpoint on, on all revenue for an organization. So, um, yeah, I think we're, we're right at a tipping point and I think it's going to get really, really exciting over the next couple of years. 
It is in so many facets. And I think, I mean, there's a million, million different places that we could go in, in, in this conversation. But I think that forward look is a, is a really good thing to leave people with. So Alex, thank you so much for the time today. And we really appreciate all your insights around everything. I appreciate having a forum to nerd out a little bit. So I certainly appreciate your time. Thank you so much. 